Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Here's a little snippet by one of the authors from the anthology. My name is Emily Liebert, and I'm thrilled to have contributed to Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. My essay is called My Father Immortal, and what I really don't have time for is inauthentic people. Eileen Garvin is the author of The Music of Bees. She is a beekeeper and writer living in Hood River, Oregon. Her memoir, How to Be a Sister, was published in 2010. The Music of Bees is her debut novel. Welcome, Eileen. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Music of Bees. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Would you mind telling listeners what your book is about? I'd be happy to. So The Music of Bees tells the story of three lonely strangers who meet by accident on a beekeeping farm in Oregon. And you could say that each one of them has been sort of wounded by life. There's three main characters. Alice Holtzman is 44. She's an overworked, underappreciated county employee. And Alice has recently lost her husband, and she's just sort of reeling from this loss. She's sort of a loner, never expected to meet anyone. And so this, this particular loss is very hard for her. And then there's Jacob Stevenson, who has the tallest mohawk in the history of Hood River Valley High School. And Jacob is this sort of mouthy, upstart kid, and he's just graduated from high school, and he's kind of on his way, leaving his parents' house in the sort of podunk town he's grown up in. But he has an accident at a high school party and has ended up in a wheelchair and is just grappling with this, this tremendous change in his life. Our third in this unlikely trio is Harry Stokes, who at first doesn't seem like he has an obvious problem, but he's 24 and Harry's kind of made some bad choices, made the wrong friends and landed in jail. And now he's trying to find his feet. So the three of them meet at Alice's farm, which is located in a fictionalized version of Hood River, Oregon, which is the town I live in. There you go. Amazing. I was sort of taken aback by the Mohawk as the starting scene and how you seem to have such a grasp on exactly how to do it and like where you shave and how pointy it is and and the different sections of the hair and all of that. I was like, 
All right. Interesting. How did, right. did you, how did you do your research on that one? Well, clearly I don't have a mohawk as you can <laughs> see, but it, it's just one of those funny sidebars that you get to do as a writer when I, you know, of course I've, I have friends who've had mohawks. I've seen a mohawk and I thought, well, this is sort of, if I'm going to make this character have a mohawk, this has to be realistic. And so I interviewed friends who'd had them in the past. Like, what do you use and how did you make it stay tall and all this sort of thing. And it gave me a whole new respect for the time management that that particular hairdo requires. Wow. I don't have a single friend who had a a mohawk, I have to say. (laughs) I think my research would have had to be more extensive. I also like how you slowly explain, like you don't say right up front that he is in a wheelchair. Like you have to discover that. I found that really interesting. You kind of like draw the reader in and then you realize and you're, you're like, oh no. And then you have to shift everything you've been thinking about. What made you do, decide to start it off that way? Well, I wanted to give readers a sense of Jacob to begin with. And it was a little bit unconscious, I suppose, but that scene in which we meet him, he's sort of going through his morning routine and he doesn't want to think about the fact that he's in a wheelchair and that his life has, has the life that he had planned has been put on hold. So he's just distracting himself by doing his hair. And that's how we meet him. And then of course, in that moment, he can't escape the fact that at the end of this two hour procedure of doing his hair, he really has nothing else to do with his day because he's stuck at his parents' house because of this thing that happened. And I just like that kind of uh, indirect explanation and introduction to Jacob. I like that too. It was really, it was beautiful. How did you come up with this idea? Like how did, why these characters, they are an unlikely crew. How did they pop into your head? Like how did this become a book? All of that. Right. Well, they came to me from elsewhere, as I'm sure you've had lots of writers say. And I should say my background is in nonfiction. I started as a business reporter. I've done lots of freelance as a travel writer. And I wrote my first book as a memoir. And with nonfiction, you're beginning with a pile of facts. And then you figure out the craft is sort of putting together the order and and all that. That, That's where the, the creativity lies. But fiction was really outside my experience at all. And the story came to me when I was, I was driving to a farm. I'm sorry. Is that your dog? My dog. My dog always is like shaking and rattling during podcasts. She might, she might show up here in a minute. She's really bored with me right now. So I was driving to a farm in my town to pick up a new package of bees because I am a backyard beekeeper. My hive had died and I was, I needed to buy a new package of bees. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's like you buy a box of bees and it's buzzing with bees. And so I was driving to pick them up and I passed, I was passed by a young man in a wheelchair with this tremendous mohawk. And I noticed when, you know, something you, you notice number one, because it's a, it's a country road, it's a small town and you don't see a lot of Mohawks in Hood River. And I also noticed that he was very fit looking and Hood River is a pretty sporty town. We have a lot of Olympic athletes that train there. We have a lot of Paralympic athletes that train there. And I figured that must be who this guy was, but I didn't know him. He passed me. And the first line for the story, Jacob Stevenson has had the tallest Mohawk in the history of Hood River County High School just popped into my mind. And I pulled over and jotted it down and was just, you know, that feeling you get, I have to do something with that. And I went and picked up my bees and then went home and the next morning got up and the dog that was just making some noise had just had surgery. So I had to kind of sit with her and keep her quiet. And I sat down and just started working on the story. And I worked on it every morning for 
the 12 weeks that she was in recovery. And by the end of that period, I kind of had, had met, I'd met Alice, I'd met Harry, and I was sort of getting a sense of how they all came together. And it was really wonderful, a wonderful experience to just follow that thread every day when I got up and see where they were going to take me. Wow. I love that. And I love how you so casually throw in that you are picking up your bees. As if this is like the most normal thing people do over the course of their day. Right. I know. Why don't you explain your career here? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm a backyard beekeeper. It's definitely very much a hobby. I know, I know lots of beekeepers that have, you know, every any, anywhere from from 10 to 100 hives, but I just have two. And I got interested in beekeeping in 2014, honestly, because I wanted to have chickens, but I thought they'd be too much trouble. <laughs> so I decided to get into beekeeping. I had some friends that were doing it. And it's one of those hobbies that for better or for worse, you can kind of get into fairly easily. Where I live in Oregon, you can buy a package or a nucleus of bees to get started. And the hives you can order through the mail and put together. And I did all of that and can start with a book. And, and so I really, the first couple of years, I really made lots of mistakes. And I mean, I should back up and say to begin with, bees don't need us really. Like they don't, they, they, they can kind of get along without me, but I really wanted the experience. I wanted to learn about them. I, I love honey. So I started keeping bees. And more recently, I joined the Oregon State University Master Beekeeper Apprentice Program, which I mentioned Jake also. Well, I don't want to. Anyway, that's, there's <laughs> some, some detail about that in the, in the book, but to learn more, to study more formally. So I'm actually right now completing that program. And that allowed me to really, they, they do a terrific job walking you through everything you need to know. And there are field worksheets that you do with your mentor. So my mentor's name is Zip. No, no, for reals. His name is Zip <laughs> and work the hive. And then there's a, a, an exam at the end. So that was really fun as I was revising the book to be studying more formally and thinking, okay, I've got to put that in there. And here's a fascinating detail about bees. And I'm going to make this part of the story. Wow. That's amazing. I just love that. Amazing. Well, you also, in addition to this book, and not to stop talking about the book or the beekeeping or anything, but beekeeping also, of course, plays into your essay that you wrote for Moms Now Time to Write, yes. which was called Beekeeping Through the Seasons of Grief, What Bees Taught Me About Love, Loss, and Remembrance, which was just beautiful. And thank you for writing this for us. It was like amazing. Maybe thank talk you. about what this essay was sort of about and how you tracked the seasons of grief, essentially. Sure. Well, it was the beekeeping was a, a fairly reliable practice last year when everything else sort of went out the window. And so I there's very, very specific tasks that one needs to do during the course of the season. In winter, you're sort of sitting where where this this begins. I'm you're, you're sort of hoping that they're they're still alive and you're gonna see them starting to take their cleansing flights. And then in spring you have your maintenance projects. And in the summertime, you're hoping for the honey flow. And in the fall, you're sort of readying them. So there's the structure there was really just the solace that I took in having that to go back to last year when so many other things were unavailable. My father passed away in January of 2020, really quite suddenly. And we were very luckily able to have his funeral because it was before things shut down. But I was thinking about him as I was walking through those projects and a feeling, I think very much the isolation of not being able to be with my family. And because of course, you know, grief doesn't happen in one moment. You don't just have the funeral and then you 
move on with that. I was really yearning to be with my brothers and sisters and my mom, and that wasn't possible. So I was thinking about them and thinking about him. And he was a really funny guy. I, I loved him very much. And he was not the most accessible person, but the beekeeping is something that I, I like to joke. And I, I forgive me, I can't quite remember if I put this in the essay, but my dad was a guy who liked to talk about the Civil War, golf, and medicine, because he was a retired physician. <laughs> so if you didn't have anything to say on those three topics, it was really, you know, he, he just really wasn't going to waste his time pretending to be polite and interested in what you had to say. And I am not interested in golf, nor the Civil War, nor medicine. And so, you know, we, were, we had the, one of those relationships where it was sometimes hard to connect, even though there was a lot of affection there. But he was also a self-taught carpenter. He made beautiful furniture for all of us. And so when I took a beekeeping, it was a very specific and, you know, quasi scientific practice. This was something that I could talk with him about. And so he was always interested to know what I was doing from the moment I got interested and I bought the hives and was putting them together. And he was interested in construction and then the tasks that followed. That was something that we could, we could really talk about. And I, and I loved being able to do that. I just love this whole bee fascination. I mean, I felt like when I did butterflies with my kids, you know, like that kit where you can make your own butterflies, essentially right. like wait and then they grow and anything. I, I don't know. That's like the extent of my caretaking, I feel like, in the, in the natural species world. But this is- Well, just, you've, got, you've got some humans to take care of, so I'm sure that keeps you plenty busy. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I lack the skill set, the skill set you have, which is pretty impressive. And yes, you did mention those things about your dad in the essay, but that's okay. It's always nice that's to talk okay. about what your parents <laughs> love. You had a couple lines that I just wanted to read really fast, or at least one that I can find. You said, some moments are golden, others like smoke, like birds, like bees, like light on the lake, like everything that rises are held briefly in our fallible human hearts and move on like a swarm abandoning the hive. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. 
That's life360.com, code books. That is gorgeous. I mean, this whole essay is gorgeous. The book is gorgeous, but I don't know. You have all these like zingers that are, or maybe I should say not zinger, I mean, B, I don't know. There's got to be a B joke in there, but I won't. <laughs> well, thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to write. You know, that's the fiction is fun in, in its own way. Like I described kind of chasing this creative thread, but memoir and personal essay, which I know are a favorite of yours. Mm-hmm. They really are. I love them particularly for really two reasons I've been able to distill for myself. One is that I find out what I think mm-hmm. when I'm writing it. And I know, I think Flannery, Flannery O'Connor or I can't think, um, Joan Didion said, one said, I write to know what I think. And the other said, I write to know what I believe. I'm paraphrasing badly. Anyway, you get my point. <laughs> I get it. It's the process that leads you to, to discover what's in your own mind. And that's one thing I love. And the other with memoir and personal essay in particular, you really get to capture a moment because our lives are fleeting and the people we love die we die. And so when we can capture in an essay or in a, in a memoir, our remembrance, and that's just such a gift to a writer, whether or not anybody reads it, that's really a, a, a distinct pleasure I take in that kind of writing. And tell me about your memoir. Sure, yes, I'm happy to tell you about it. So my memoir is called How to Be a Sister. It was published in 2010. And I grew up in a, a family of five siblings. We were all born within six years and big, you know, typical Irish Catholic clan. And my second oldest sister, Margaret, has autism and her communication is very difficult for her. So she has a really hard time. She doesn't talk a lot. And so when we were younger, her, well, it was a household of hilarity and tragedy all, all mixed up together. And she really had a huge influence on me. I was born when she was three and had just been diagnosed. And so I never knew life without Margaret. And I had this weird position as a sibling. We like to joke that our birth orders all screwed up in our family because I was kind of in responsible for her. I always felt responsible for her because of the difference between us. And I always wanted to write those stories. Like I was just saying about capturing, it was sort of the the family encyclopedia, things that we joked about for years or, you know, crazy stories about things that happened at weddings. And that was part of it. But I also was in, in the moment of writing the story. I had moved to Hood River from the Southwest and had been you know, when I was living in Albuquerque, able to sort of ignore this discomfort of being around her. Now I'm four hours away by car and I have to figure out how I'm going to connect with her, reconnect with her as an adult. So how to be a sister tells that story of my, my journey to reconnect with Margaret as an adult while telling the backstory of all these, the, the shenanigans that happened in our, our lifetime together. Wow. So did you always like to write? I always liked to write. I really, I did. And I never, I danced around it for so long, which is something when I'm talking to younger writers now, I really like to tell people don't wait and don't wait. I think I was waiting for someone to tell me that it was a good idea or that, that I had talent or something, but I just, I never took any classes. I didn't, I studied English, but I, I learned to read when I was three because my, like I said, that big family, my oldest sister taught me to read when I was three. And I have little books, you know, that I made in, in grade school, like little yarn, yarn and paper books. But I, you know, I did pr- practically every job you can do kind of around writing until I fell into it. I was a tutor and then I was, I worked in PR for small presses. I decided to go to graduate school and teach English after teaching English abroad. And I was working, I was, had a little year in between my master's and my PhD of English and I 
had a year off and I was waiting to start that program and took a job in a newspaper in Albuquerque and realized, oh no, this is so much fun. This is what I want to do. I want to write something, edit something and see it published and have that. And so that would, after that, it was, it was all over. And that led me to then personal essay and the memoir and everything else. So I just, I wish I hadn't waited for so long. And I'm so glad that I found my way in because it just, it's the thing that makes me feel the most myself. And I feel very lucky to have had the chance to engage in that way. That's a nice way to put it. It's the thing that makes me feel most like myself. That's really nice. I know I always wonder sometimes like the other day, my hand was really hurting. I was like, what if I can't type? Like, what if at some point I'm not able to write or, you know, what if I have ALS and I can't like communicate or I can't, I don't, this is like the crazy anxiety stuff that keeps me up at night, but I'm like, you know, I'm so dependent on it as a form of you know, mental health even, right? No, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. That you sound like a, you've got that nerve, you've, you've got it deep in your core as well. And I feel that way. I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience too, when you're, you know, you're traveling and you, and you can't, you don't have access to your pen and paper or something. And it just feels like sort of a, a drug, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, this way of calming everything down by taking notes and coming up with ideas. And it's really a wonderful way to explore the world. I wonder what people do who don't live that way. I wonder how they get their feelings out. <laughs> I wish I had a better way. So this, this way takes a lot of time. <laughs> It does. It takes a lot of time. That's, that is true. And there's no direct way. I don't know if you find that, but sometimes if you, you lose the the window because you know, you're busy or somebody, you have to go do something and you can feel that I really have this idea in the back of my mind and, and it's, it's making all this noise in my brain while I'm supposed to be doing the rest of my life because I didn't get a chance to sit down today and work on that thing. Yeah. Maybe I just don't have as many ideas <laughs> as you do. That. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm working on something right now and I'm feeling a little bit that way. And it, I've always been like, since I was in college, you know, it all, it all wants to come out at once. And I'm really mm. impatient with myself, but I've, I've got a good rhythm and I've got the dog who, who insists on taking breaks. Otherwise I would be sort of just inside right now <laughs> all day I long. feel the same way I'm like thank god for the dog or I like might not go outside I mean my kids too but you know when I don't have the kids or, I just I, I'm very content inside my house yeah <laughs> I'm like I'm like I never I would be I, it's really bad especially after thank the pandemic for the dogs <laughs> yeah, thank for the dogs anyway wait so what is it that you're working on now what can you tell uh, us about it I'm working on a, another novel and I don't want to say too much about it but okay. I would say that it's similar to the music of bees and that it's about people with problems. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. And what advice would you give aside from what we've already discussed, but what else would you, what other advice would you give for aspiring authors? I am going to pass along some terrific advice that I heard from Sandra Cisneros, famous for writing House on Mango Street. I love her work. She has a new memoir called The House of My Own and a new novel, a little novella out called Martita, I Remember You. It, that's also in Spanish that I just finished in love. And that's not what you asked me, but I want to pass along. She's coming on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her advice, which I believe she was being interviewed by Krista Tippett on, on being when she said this and, you know, this question, like, what advice do you offer aspiring young writers? And, and she was very specific and I loved this. And she said, make your own money, control your fertility. And solitude is sacred. And I, and, and I loved that because what she's saying is 
you know, don't make your own money. So you don't, so nobody can tell you what to do with your time, mm-hmm. control your fertility, decide when you want to have kids and how many kids you want to have so that you have room in your life for maybe for your writing kid. And then solitude is sacred. And I'm sure you find that as well. One of the hardest lessons I had to learn was saying no to people. You have to, if you're writing, you gotta, you gotta carve out some time for yourself. And that means saying no to people that, that you love that, that are asking you to do things that you have to choose between writing and people. <laughs> so I just thought that was so brilliant for her to offer a, as an advice and, and much more specific than the usual, just, you know, keep on trying and don't give up, which is also useful. But I just thought that was really, I, I like that a lot too. It's neat. It's a different, I like hearing a new perspective on it and yeah, it's awesome. That's great. <laughs> I can't even get a sentence out about that. See, you know, (laughs) anyway, well, Eileen, thank you. Thank you for coming on to discuss the music of bees and your great essay from almost enough time to write. And yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 